Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21 down to verse 35. And this is the parable of the unforgiving servant. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, that, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torment torturers till he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And that is God's holy and errant word, and may he bring his blessing to us in our midst. I find that last verse very chilling to think, you know, of God's uh, retribution to those who, after receiving mercy from him, are merciless. But there we have it uh, being presented to us as a as a significant challenge in our own lives as God's people and in our relationships with one another. As we are going through the Lord's Prayer and concluding this series on uh, embracing and understanding the means of grace and those ordinances that God has given us, we have seen from the Lord's Prayer how our first aspect of prayer is focused on God, His his name, uh, his kingdom, his will. Uh, but these last three petitions are focused on us and our needs. We, couple, two weeks ago, looked at that fourth petition and we saw that, that praying, give us our daily bread, was not just God supply our needs, but throughout uh, scripture, understanding that God does indeed provide for us. And that prayer includes a focus on us having gratitude and contentment and learning what it is to be dependent upon God and his providence and understanding that as he gives, he gives in wisdom and knowledge 
in accordance with what we not just simply need, but what he wants to lead and teach us in, in our lives. That there's a lot to that prayer. Well, so there is with this prayer, this fifth petition is focused on mercy, yes. But it is focused on us learning to love mercy. It's focused on us learning to love and exercise mercy in respect of God's mercy having uh, met us. And in particular, it's focused on learning to love one another in the community of God's people. Remember what Jesus said about how this world is going to know that we are his disciples. By our love for one another. Now most times when we think of that, we're thinking about what we do for each other. But there's a deeper essence that this prayer brings to that very thing. It's on how we treat one another. And how we regard one another. How we truly love and allow that love of God to deal with the offenses that do rise up within our midst. Jesus said that it is impossible that offenses should not come. They're going to happen. But how we deal with them shows to the world the love of God at work in our lives and that love that we have for one another shows to the world that we are his disciples. And that is embraced within this. We already made the confession from the Nicene Creed. We also make the confession from the Apostles' Creed. What do we believe in? One of those things we believe in is the forgiveness of sins. We confess tonight that we believe in one baptism for the remission of sins. And that forgiveness and that remission of sins is something that is now in God's grace set upon our lap as well to deal with. And that's what this fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer is focused on. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That is probably uh, the best word used in all of that. I know the title is Forgive Our Sins as We Forgive. But uh, the actual phrase is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I believe the word debt is much more forceful than the word trespass or the word sin. And that is illustrated even within this parable where he talks about the debt that is owed. In Matthew six twelve, where the Lord's Prayer is given to us by by Christ, he does use the word debt and debtors. Luke's gospel uses the word sin and debtors. Forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. It's not until you go outside of the instruction of the Lord's Prayer that the word trespass is used. And that's the word that most people are familiar with using. But it's not in the original languages. That's, I'm just putting that there. Because... There is a difference. Both debt and trespass deal with the issue of sin and offenses. But debt is the stronger convicting word. And I think the more proper word for us to be focused on. Trespass, it defines the offense. It defines the sin. A, a, a breaking of God's law. A breaking of something within that, that uh, relationship with the one that we have sinned against. But the word debt 
defines the cost of the offense. It, it defines what is owed to the one that we have offended. And you think about that with God. Before God, we trespass, we sin against His holiness, His law, and His truth. That's the offense that we commit against God. But it's because of that we incur a debt. We incur a debt to His justice. We incur a debt that we are unable to pay. And that is the point of this parable, dealing with that man who owed as he says, there are 10,000 talents. And the man says, I'm going to pay it back. Well, the king knows there's no way for you to pay it back. It would be like you coming up with $10 million to pay your back taxes. That, that's, that's the current amount or equalization of it. How many of you could do that in your lifetime? I, I, I jokingly said to people... It was about four years ago, I entered the Millionaire Club uh, in Canada. I earned my first million after 30-something years of work. <laughs> Could you pay that debt back? No. And, and that's why that's the stronger word. There is a debt incurred against the justice of God, one which we cannot pay. If you look at the back of your bulletin in respect of the larger catechism, it makes that point in respect of this fifth petition. What do we pray for in the fifth petition? And he says there, in, in this petition, which is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we are acknowledging that we are guilty both of the original and actual sin and thereby become debtors to the justice of God. And that... Neither we nor any other creature can make the least satisfaction for that debt. We have a debt we cannot pay. And it's due to our trespasses. And so we are coming to God. And when we are praying, God, forgive us for our sins. Forgive my transgression. Forgive my iniquity. Forgive that trespass against your law and holiness and, and truth. We ought to be and are to be thinking, God, by that we recognize the debt against your justice that we owe. We deserve death. If you were to be just against us, God, we should be in hell forever. We recognize Christ has paid that debt. What a glorious thing to, to understand what it means when, when Paul says, there is now therefore what? No condemnation. Why? Because the debt we owe has been paid by our Lord, the righteous one, who went to the cross in our place, who died the death we deserve. We understand that. Well, the same here when it comes to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We sin against each other. We sin, we transgress, we offend. Do we realize the debt that we owe even to one another in respect of those transgressions? Think about it with, with slander. When you slander someone, even to one person, can you really recover their honor 
in the eyes of another person. It takes a lot of work. There's a debt that's incurred. It isn't just that, oh, you said something wrong about someone. But, but you have robbed honor. You have taken something from them that is not just difficult, but often you're unable to repay that to them. There is a debt that is owed to the person's physical and spiritual being that cannot be readily remedied. And, and this is where, especially within the confines of the church, this is where this prayer becomes a necessary aspect of our daily prayers before God. It's saying to God, prepare my heart to be as forgiving, O God, with my brothers and sisters especially, as you are with me, as you have been with me. This prayer is so necessary to your daily prayers because you know that you sin against God and that you sin against one another daily in your thoughts, in, in your words, in your actions. Not always intentionally. There's the ignorant sins that we commit against one another. Sometimes we don't even know we've sinned against one another. Offended one another. And this is where, with the text that we're looking at, Christ is showing to us the depth of this prayer in our lives. Now, I want to say this, that we're not here dealing with repentance. I know we all want to understand what is true repentance. I'll forgive when there's true repentance. What is true repentance? Now we have it framed in our catechism, in our question that way, that we can give a definition to it. It's when we see that there's a change. But you notice within the Gospels, Jesus doesn't talk about that, that measure of repentance. What he says in Luke 17 is, when they repent... Forgive. And what we're dealing with this evening is what does that forgiveness look like? And how is it to be exercised? And it's, it, it's about having that heart that is not just willing, but that heart that is forgiving. Because that's what Jesus says here. So my Father in heaven will do to you if you from his heart does not forgive. It's a heart issue. And that's why this prayer is so important. And, and looking at our catechism, we're going to look first of all at the glory of forgiveness. I think we begin there because when we understand the glory of forgiveness from God, it does transform our hearts, our minds, our thinking, our understanding in this. Peter's question begins this whole dialogue. But let's not forget, Peter's question is about offenses that we experience from one another. This is a question he asks as Jesus warns about offenses and deals with the whole issue of, of a sinning brother and, and he, he talks about how we're to handle those things. But Peter comes and he says, in light of all that, he says, Lord, how often? <laughs> how often? 
How much do I forgive? Do I do it seven times a day? Well, up to seven times. We, I think the other uh, the gospel uses the phrase a day. But it's up to seven times. And, and he's saying, what if it's a repeat offender? What if it's somebody who, who's lied to me and lied to me again and lied to me again and lied to me again? Do I keep forgiving? Because at that point, you're ready to say what? His repentance isn't genuine. It isn't real. You see the unqualified way that Jesus presents this to us. It's not about how good their repentance is. It's about your heart and the willingness to forgive. And Jesus, when he responds to Peter, 70 times 7, what is he saying? He's saying, you're not going to sit there and count 490 times, okay, I'm done forgiving you. What he's saying by that is always. You are to always forgive your brother. Now there is the gospel. A hard lesson of the gospel, isn't it? But what is the foundation for this? Where do we gain that ability and strength and compassion to be so forgiving? Again, congregation, look at the larger catechism. We've already talked about us understanding that due to original sin and actual sin, none of us have the ability to make the least satisfaction for the debt that we owe to God. What are we praying for? Taking it up again there. We pray for ourselves and others that God of His free grace would, through the obedience and satisfaction of Christ, apprehended and applied by faith, acquit us both from the guilt and punishment of sin and accept us in His beloved. Wow. Do you capture the glory of forgiveness? When we step back and step away from the circumstance that we might be dealing with with one another, and we step back and we look, how has God forgiven me? And what glory there is in it. And that's the comparison that Jesus uses with this parable. He doesn't jump first to the, the man who's dealing with a hundred denarii and, and, and what he's dealing with him. What he is dealing with is this man who has himself received such uncomparable forgiveness of a debt he could not pay. Begin there. How could you not... Come and say, wow, he forgave me everything. I just think, you know, I think of uh, my mortgage. What would it be if the bank came and said, your debt is forgiven. You're free from it. Imagine how much joy there would be for a, a limited monetary amount to be released from that. Uh, let's go from the lesser to the greater. How much more when we stop and see what God has forgiven us? Do you realize how glorious God has been to you? 
And if you don't begin there, you're going to be like this servant who goes out and grabs his brother by the throat and says, pay me. We have to begin there. How gracious God has been. God's free grace. Your debt to God's justice is beyond your ability to pay. But Christ has stepped in and paid it in full. There is no ounce of wrath that stands against you. Even for those sins that you're going to commit the rest of your life as a Christian before God calls you into glory, there is not a single ounce of condemnation waiting you from those sins that you haven't even repented of yet. Grasp that for a moment. Christ has paid it in full. All the punishment and guilt our sins deserve is gone, wiped clean. We stand before God free from that debt. And so even now, today, when we sin against God, it's not His anger that meets us. His wrath is nowhere to be found. It's a Father who comes to us and says, I may have to discipline you, but understand, it's love. I love you. And I want you to be free of your sin. There's no death. It's just this ongoing cleansing from our unrighteousness. It's because we're no longer accounted as sinners. But as God's righteous ones, sometimes foolish children who turn away, and sometimes sheep who go astray, and sometimes a holy people who backslide. We're in Christ. I'm not diminishing our sins when I say this. This is the reality that meets us, understanding God's forgiveness. How glorious it is. And how merciful. When you stop and think of your sins that you have committed. The sins that you know of. I mean, there's hundreds we don't know of. But you stop and you think of the sins that you know you have committed in the past, even today. What does scripture tell us about them? They're more than the hairs of our head, which I jokingly say to men who are losing their hair. Just be thankful. (laughs) You can count your sins a little easier. (laughs) Peter's concern for seven sins. Do you not realize what God has forgiven you? When you think about that servant that Jesus uses in the parable, he didn't incur that 10,000 talent debt overnight. (laughs) It's a lifelong debt. Accumulated over time. Impossible to be settled But when you think about the mercy of God and all that he has forgiven you, that is why when we look to Christ, we are able, as we have already sung, my sins, oh, this glorious thought, my sins, not in part, but the whole, it's been nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Generosity of God's forgiveness is beyond our thoughts. 
And it's not just with one of us. Look, there's about 20 of us here tonight. Well, that's just this one congregation. This, this is the whole of his people, the whole of his church, of every generation. God has in Christ removed the debt justly. He hasn't just said, okay, I'm just going to cancel it. I'm not going to worry about it. It's, no, it's been paid. <laughs> paid in full for every one of us. God has forgiven you every slander, every blasphemy you have uh, issued against his name. Every foul and rebellious idol of your heart. Every scornful, bitter, murderous, immoral thought of your mind. He has been gracious, merciful, and generous to you. And he accepts you as his beloved child. It's like Paul said in, uh, wrote, uh, sorry, wrote in Romans 5 to understand the glory of this. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. My friends, that's the foundation of this petition. You see why we need to be guarded about worrying. Is their repentance real? Mm. We begin here. That's the foundation of this petition. Forgive us, O oh God. And the fruit of that forgiveness, secondly. And we see that again in the larger catechism there as you move down where it says after we've been accepted in his beloved. We're praying that he continues his favor and grace to us Pardon our daily fail, failings and fill us with peace and joy. There's the fruit of forgiveness. Isn't your heart warmed when you pray to God and you say, Father, forgive. We sung it in the opening. The joy of salvation. That peace with God. My friends, those are the fruits that come from embracing God's forgiving graces in the Lord Jesus. We have peace with God. We're no longer an enemy of God, but friends, we're no longer a sinner, but a holy one. We're no longer a beggar, but a royal child. We're no longer unworthy in his sight, but we are a treasure of God. And he says all of that to us. This is the peace we we have in Christ and, and, and the peace that we receive when we pray, forgive us our sins, cleanse us from our unrighteousness. And we read those words in 1 John, and he is faithful and just to do that. And we know it, and when we know it, how does your heart feel? <laughs> do you believe you've been forgiven? What are you experiencing from that? Peace. Joy. We've been set free from the burden of sin. We have extended to us all of the glories of God's grace. And the gift of life eternal. 
We have, as Scripture says, a fullness of joy. Oh, let the world throw at us what it wants. You can't rob me of this joy. I'm forgiven. I'm with my God. It's like the psalmist said in Psalm 103. You hear me say this often, but it so applies here. A psalm of David. You can't help but thinking, is this what he is singing after he prayed Psalm 51? Psalm 103. Oh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. And who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. And who satisfies your mouth with good things. So that your youth is renewed like an eagle. Wow. That's what God's forgiveness to us. Works in us. When you know that. When you are experiencing that. When you know the forgiveness of God. And you experience the fruit of that forgiveness. My friends, I ask this very simple question. Do you not want that for your brother? That's where we go with this. How could one be forgiven so much and then go to his brother and say, I'm going to throw you in jail until you pay back? I know there's probably lots of questions. Yeah, but what if this? What if this? What if this? My friends, let's worry about the principle. Because you know we can lose the principle for the sake of circumstance. That's a dangerous way to go. Because this understanding of the glory of forgiveness and this experience of the fruit of forgiveness brings us to the heart of forgiveness. And that's where we see at the end of the larger catechism and this again from scripture where he says, Knowing this, praying for forgiveness, it gives us more assurance and emboldens us to ask and encourage and expect that when we have this testimony in ourselves that we, from the heart, forgive others their offenses. What is is it saying there? It's saying this, that when we have that testimony of God's forgiveness in us, we can be emboldened to ask for and expect it from others as well as having such grace in our hearts to forgive one another. It works in us. It is perhaps one of the greatest signs of the gospel in our own souls when we have tasted the goodness of our God and we're able to say to one another, forgive you. How can I not? In fact, it even goes beyond that. As Peter would write in 1 Peter 4, 8, I I can't help but think he has this in mind when he says it, but it even comes that with many offenses, what do we do with them? Love covers them. I'm not going to allow this to offend me. Understand this person is a work in God's grace and they're doing and, and growing in the Lord and uh, I, I don't need to let these minor things weigh me down. Love 
indeed covers a multitude of sins. And it is this heart of forgiveness that the Lord is striving for in us. And that's where we're brought to the very end of this parable. And it should be fixed in our hearts. Do you have the testimony of Christ in you? Then there ought always to be a readiness of forgiveness between you and others. Do you walk in that assurance that God in Christ has forgiven all your debts? You have that peace and joy in the Lord of knowing you are forgiven. Then there ought to be a real and open zeal for the release of debt between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. There really is no excuse for us to hold debts over and against one another. It works like this. Even within scripture. Has someone offended you? Can you get over it? If it's weighing on you and it's there before you, go to your brother. Go to your sister. Seek, Seek that repentance unto life. Have you offended someone? Do you think there's an offense between you and someone? Go and meet them in the way. Don't let the prison of bitterness, of grudges, of holding debt over them be a stumbling block in your own soul. In these ways, the glory of the gospel is shining within the midst of God's people when we, from the heart, forgive even as we have been forgiven. May the Lord grant us to exercise this grace in a mighty and powerful way before the world. Let's pray. 